Hey, my name's Jared. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to be. Glad you're here with us. We're starting a brand new series tonight. So if you're new with us, you haven't missed out on the beginning of something new, which we're very excited about. As we lean into the new year, we're going to be walking through the story of Abraham, and we're calling it a journey of faith because Abraham being the father of the faithful and Abraham's faith being what was credited to him righteousness, uh, we're going to look into his life and dig deep into that as we consider personally and corporately where God's leading us in this next season together and personally, as I said. So I'm grateful that you're here. That's a little bit about where we're going. I'm honored to be able to preach the word uh, as often as I do. I'm so grateful that we have a place here that we can come together and worship freely. And we don't have to worry about things that some places of the world have to worry about yet at least. And we get to come freely and proclaim with loud voice the same thing that they're proclaiming in heaven. Worthy are you. Jesus, to open up the scroll. No one else is worthy to open up the scroll and to deem who will be worthy to enter into eternal life because there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and his name is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world, that all who may trust in him and put their faith in his death and his resurrection for the forgiveness of sin, they would be free as sons and daughters of the king. And forevermore we will sing what we just sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive all glory and honor and power and might forevermore because no one else was able to do what Jesus did. For me and for you. That's where we are. That's, that's what I want to welcome you to. City Church. A place where everyone's welcome because no one's perfect. And we can be here together under one roof because we're gathering under one name. And we know that his blood covers a multitude of sins and washes them whiter than snow. So, let's get into the word today. Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bible, verses 1 through 9 is where we're going to be spending our time today. Genesis 12. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, otherwise known as the ESV. I'm somewhat partial to that, but that doesn't mean it's the best translation. If you have a different one, no problem. ESV is going to be on the screen ESV is what I'm reading from, just to avoid any confusion there. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. If you're ready, say amen. amen. All right. I was going to hold it, and I'm not going to hold it anymore. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. 
And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed a third time. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I added that emphasis, and I'll come back to it later. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Can I hear it from the experienced ones in the room? 75 years old. There might be two of you based on that uh, resounding amen that I heard from nobody. 75 years old. When he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram. First time it said he spoke, said the Lord said to Abram. This time it said he appeared to Abram and said this, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Father, I ask right now by the power of your spirit that you would help us to understand your truth, that you would reveal to us what you wish for us to see and hear tonight. God, I believe that in your word there is life, there is hope, There is peace, there is joy, there is fullness of life in the ever-breathing, ever-living Word of God. And I pray that you would give us that life today, that you would open our ears, soften our hearts to be able to receive it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, in agreement, amen, amen. Did you notice how many times God said, I will, in those verses, especially the first three? Did you notice that? What can we learn from this when God says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this over and over again, I will. He's making promises, right? And we can see as we're focusing on Abraham's faith tonight, which by the way, his name will eventually be changed to Abraham. Currently where we are in the story, his name is Abram. We'll get to more of that later. I don't have a ton of time to do that, but we will later, I promise. We're going to focus on Abram's faith. But God, when he's speaking to him, seems to be putting more emphasis on his promise than he is Abram's faith. Because we know that the strength of our faith is dependent on the strength of its object. So we know that Abraham's faith was great. And we aspire to have this great faith. But we know that the only reason it was great is because it was firmly planted in the truth of God's word and his promises. And God says, I will, I will, I will, over and over again, making it very clear what he will do, which should be enough for complete obedience on the other side. 
because he is the God who created all things, who sustains all things, who holds it all together by a word. Hebrews tells us by the word of his immovable power, he holds it all together. He's trustworthy. He's never failed. He's not gonna fail. And Abram had an opportunity to place his faith in God's word. We see in verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, and we're gonna walk through this a little bit, so bear with me, but there is so much underneath that, and I don't wanna miss any of it. Now the Lord said to Abram, verse one, go from your country, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Go from your country, the motherland, the place you grew up, the place you're from. Go from there, go away from there. Go away from your kindred, your family, your friends, everybody close to you, that you're related to, your relatives. And away from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Leave the world that you know behind and go to a land that I will show you. All he knew, all the comfort that he knew, all the security that he knew, all of his associations, all of his network. I was thinking about this the other day when we were, uh, my wife and I were driving to the mountains and we got kids in the back and it's crazy town in the back of the van. And you, you get this thought, she was saying something to me about her van because we heard a weird noise and we were, you know, that anxious moment and you've got precious cargo in the back. And if you really start, stop to think and let your anxiety go a little bit, and you're on a mountain with no cell service, and it takes you right back to before cell phones were even existent, which is a crazy thought in the first place. Like, what are we going to do if we break down on the side of this mountain, you know? Like, and, and, and I, I had this thought. We live in a pretty small town with a lot of family, a lot of relatives, a lot of people we know, short call away from helping us helping us figure the situation out. or If we're in an emergency, we've got a lot of people to call. We're blessed with that. And in, in, a, in a very real way, God is asking Abram, leave it. Leave it. Leave your security. Leave your comfort. Leave your, your peace even. Leave, leave what you have rested in. Leave your family. Leave your relatives. Leave your network. Leave it all behind and go to the place that I will show you. I'm not even going to tell you where it is yet or what it is, but I'll show you. Go. There are several commentaries on this text in the New Testament, and one specifically that we're going to read tonight is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. That's a key word tonight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, look at this, not knowing where he was going. He went out, he was called, and he obeyed. He went out, not knowing where he was going. For some of us, that's really hard to imagine, right? How many trips have you taken not knowing where you're going? Anybody? Were you asked to do it? Dev, I love you. Nope. God told you to go and you went. You had to go. Yeah. 
my sister. It's good to see you tonight. Everybody say hey to Deb. She's great. If you don't know her, you need to know her. Abraham did the same thing. God called him to go, and he went. He didn't know where he was going. He started moving. Obedience. Obedience. That's what we're looking at tonight, the obedience of Abraham. It's a hard word. We don't, we don't like to talk about obedience. We don't like to, to, a lot of times, obey. The vagueness of the command is significant. I want you to see that. I want to emphasize that because God said, go and I'll show you. Go and I'll show you. Go and I'll show you. Some of you need to remember that. God told Abraham, go and I'll show you. praying for years would you would you just I'm just show me where it is just just show me how I'm going to get there just show me what's going to happen on the way just just give me some peace just give me some assurance just give me some certainty not bad prayers but I'm just telling you if he tells you to go you need to start going and sometimes he just gives you enough for the next step and then when you take that step he gives you enough for the next step when he brought manna from heaven when the Israelites needed food, it was for the day. He provided a cloud by day to guide them and fire by night, a pillar of fire to guide them through the wilderness. He provided that. They didn't drum it up. They didn't spark the flame and decide to go when they went. When the pillar of fire came, they followed it. Abram didn't know where he was going. He wasn't told Canaan was the land until he reached Canaan. He didn't know where he was. I just got to say it. I want you to hear it. There's a, uh, there's a story of a missionary in Africa who came out on his front porch, and he saw his son playing in the front yard under a tree. And he said to his son, son, fall. His son fell. True story. Son just fell. He said, crawl, crawl to me, crawl to me. Son started crawling to him. He said, okay, get up and run. Son got up and ran straight to him and grabbed him in his arms on the porch. The father said, look back over there at the tree, son. The son looked back and he saw a viper coming off the tree right where he was standing. And the son didn't know, couldn't see the viper behind him. And when I read this story, I thought about that for a second. I tried to put myself in the son's shoes. What would have happened if the father said to his son, fall, and the son said, why? I don't want to. Are you sure that that's the best thing for me to do? What would have happened? You see that? I told this to my son the other day. He's four, and I was trying to teach him about obedience, which is regular occurrence at our house and when I got to that part I said Mick what do you think I did the thing I just I was so proud of my thing I'm like you see that looks like a snake right viper and I'm like what do you think would have happened if the boy would have said why he said "Mm." probably would have been danger so he said "Mm." this face like immediate Immediate guilt because he knew exactly what I was saying without me having to say it. This is how we are. This hits home for me. The father saw the danger. The father saw what the son couldn't see, and he told him what to do, and the son obeyed. 
instantly, without question. (laughs) This is the kind of obedience that God is looking for. I'm not saying you can never question him. I'm not saying you can never ask him or petition him. I'm not saying that. That's, that's, not, that's not the reality of the Christian walk. We need to struggle. Jacob wrestled with God. Moses argued with God. We see this in scripture where people wrestled in their faith. They, they worked out, as Paul says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. It's okay. I'm not saying don't ever question and have rock solid obedience for the rest of your life. But I am saying that the goal would be when God speaks, you do this is the kind of obedience that Abraham displayed but but it didn't he didn't always get it right I want to take a step into reality for a second because he didn't always get it right we're going to look in the next coming weeks at 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 some mistakes that he made some some big blunders because he was human as well Abraham just like the rest of us And we see something at the end of of chapter 11, right before where we started reading, that's easy to skip over. And I want to read it, verses 31 through 32 from Genesis chapter 11. Terah is Abram's dad right here. It says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went further together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they got to Haran, but, but when they got to Haran, they settled there. When they got to Haran, they settled there. And the next verse is very bleak. The days of Terah were 205 years, and he died in Haran. Abram's father died there in Haran, where they settled, short of Canaan. Acts chapter 7 is the in-between-the-lines of that Genesis 11 text that I just read. Acts chapter 7, if I could take you there really quick, just three verses. 7, verse 2, 3, and 4. Stephen is giving a speech right here, and it's prolific. And he says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Track with me for a second. Abram's from Ur, Mesopotamia. God called him from there. Stephen tells us, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So we see that God told him where to go before he went to Haran. Therefore, we see that when they settled in Haran, they hadn't made it all the way to where God had told them to go. God said, go. They went, but they didn't go all the way. Verse 3, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Same thing. Same thing's what he said, but he said it prior to them going. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. We see that Stephen's talking to the people there and he's referencing back to what happened with their father, Abraham. And we can see that that Abraham was not fully obedient the first time because they stopped short and they settled in Haran. 
And God came to him again. This is interesting to me when you look geographically because it was relatively easy to go from Ur to Haran. It was on the same side of the Euphrates River. Same bank, same side. You could just travel along the bank. You don't have to cross the big river. So it was, a, it was a tough journey because you're leaving what was behind you, but you weren't going all the way. You didn't keep going, Abram. And after his father died, God came to him again and said, go. To cross this river, this deep, broad, rapid river was a difficult thing. There was no bridges there. It was dangerous. It was difficult. It's easy to put yourself in his shoes and say, well, maybe I would have stopped short and settled as well and started to think through all the what ifs and the plan B's and C's and D's and E's. I'm not going to cross there until I got a, a couple contingencies. Maybe that's what they were doing. Because to cross the Euphrates there to go further into Canaan would have meant separation from the land that they knew. If you crossed that river, most likely you're not coming back. It's too difficult, too dangerous. Once you're there, you're there. Only the man of faith did that. It takes great faith to push through deeper obstacles. It's one thing to leave home. It's one thing to leave your father's house. It's another thing to cross that river. This way was not for the lukewarm. This way was not for the half and half. This is not the route that somebody took that wasn't sure that they believed God. And so the first time they didn't make it past Haran. But God came again and called him again. And Abraham knew that he has called him further And so he went. Verse 6 of of chapter 12. We're back to the original text. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem. At At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. I want to focus on this just really quick, that the Lord appeared to him there. When he came to the land, the Canaanites were still there. The Canaanites were not nice people. They were violent. They were wicked. They were opponents, potential enemies for Abram. When he came there, they were still there. See. You could see how there could be more questions that God, you, okay, this is the land that you said you will give me, and, and, but, but I'm here, and they're still here, and they're not going to really get out of the way, and I don't have an army, and I don't have tanks or anything else that can help me blow through this situation right now. And we came all the way. Haran would have been a great place. And then we crossed the river for you. God, can you imagine, maybe? And I don't want to miss the fact that in this opposition, in this, this, this moment of testing with the opponent there, the, the enemy there, God appeared to Abram. He appeared to him. He didn't just speak to him like he did in verse 1. He appeared to him. 
he was present. He appeared to Abram. And that's important for us to understand because in our moments of greatest testing, in our moments right in the valley of the shadow of death, some of you know it, the promise is that he will be there. And God decided to appear to Abram in his moment of concern, maybe fear, maybe terror, maybe questioning. God in his mercy appeared to Abraham there. Light shines the brightest in the darkest night. Don't we know it? Not only does God appear, I, I want you to hear this. Not only does God appear more clearly to us in dark times, more bright to us in dark times, but we are also more eager and able to see him. And it's God's mercy to let us sense and feel and be in the presence of the enemy before we see him present with us sometimes. So if you're going through a dark spot right now or a dark season or a dark 10 years or whatever your struggle is, whatever you're in the middle of, I want to remind you today that in the darkest night, the light shines the brightest. And sometimes in God's mercy, he lets you feel the weight of that darkness so that you will be all the more eager and, and able to sense and see his presence. And so you will lean into that as everything that you need. Verse 8, let's keep moving. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. He pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram didn't go into the city. He went up to the hillside, to the hill country at Bethel, and he pitched his tent, not far, but just far enough outside of the city. Not, not far from the world. He was still in the world, but he was not of the world. And he pitched his tent up on the hill country and immediately built an altar there and, and called upon the name of the Lord and began to worship. Why didn't Abram go into the city? That's my first question. Why did, he, why did he pitch his tent outside of the city on the hill country? The next uh, two chapters later in Genesis 14, uh, we see that Abram is called the Hebrew. It's a title that was given. And tradition tells us that the Canaanites called Abram the Hebrew which could also be translated to the man from the other side. The man from the other side. That's him up on the hill, that crazy guy, that weird guy. He came all the way here. And he didn't even know where he was going. God said, go, and he went. I asked him the story, and he told me. He just came. And now he's living in a tent, calling on the name of the Lord. He doesn't have riches anymore. He doesn't have pastures. He doesn't have livestock like he had back there. He's got some things, but he don't have what he had that he had cultivated for years, 75. Anybody living in a tent at 75? We only got one 75 plus, don't we? That's why nobody said amen, except for you, my man, kicking. 
He's in a tent on the hill country. The man from the other side. I love this. I don't know if y'all get it. Yeah, I'm going to go there. I love that this could be translated to the man from the other side. Because shouldn't this be the name that we wear as well as Christians? The, 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 that's, that's the girl from the other side. That's the girl that... It's not from here. You ain't from around here, are you? Because your home is not here. This is just a place that you're passing through. You're just on a pilgrimage because your home is in heaven. What would it be like if we wore as a badge of honor the man from the other side? I'm sure they were making fun of him. I'm sure there were people saying, what is this guy doing? He don't make any sense. Are we willing to step even when we don't understand, but we know that he said go? Are we willing to step and keep going when we know that God said go? And we also know that on the other side, there's going to be people there that say, what in the world are you doing? Who are you? The man from the other side. We are strangers in this world. We are aliens here. This would be true of us as well if this was not our home. If we didn't spend all this time making it great and comfortable and the best life now. If this is your best life now, you're in for a bad eternity. If your best life, if the best life that you're ever going to experience is now, we got a problem. That's bad news in eternity. Because we strain towards a more permanent home that is perfect. Where we have, where our Father has prepared many rooms for those who have trusted in Jesus. We strain forward to that promise as pilgrims. (laughs) Dependent on God's presence and obedient to his word. Are we? Are we? Pilgrims. Dependent upon God's present and obedient to his word. This struck me in the middle of the chest 26 times this week. As much as I was digging into it, studying it, praying about it, I was hurting. Because I don't act like a pilgrim most of the time. Dependent on God's presence and obedient to his word. Just passing through. I'm just passing through. There's a land of promise ahead of me. Well, where is that? I don't know. I don't know, but I I know that he told me to go. I know that his blood is enough to forgive your sins too. Do you want to come? Do you want to come? He's got many rooms, Jesus told me. Abram, the, the man from the other side. So what did he do after he pitched his tent up on the hill? Worshipped. He built an altar. and He called on the name of the Lord right there in his home, right there in his tent on the hill. He built an altar and he began to worship. He began to feed his faith. He kept intimacy with God. That was the first priority. He pitched a tent. We're here Altar, call on the name of the Lord. That was the celebration. That was the the exclamation point. It's like, we've arrived. How many times have we gone on vacation and built an altar? 
That'd be weird, Jared. <laughs> Where? On the beach? Like, in the condo? What are you talking about? It's weird. It's counter. He built an altar, and he called on the name of the Lord. He fed his faith. He kept intimacy with the Father. And this is what I want you to see, because what worship does, as, as we pour out praise and adoration and thanksgiving, calling on the name of the Lord, who, who brought us here, who hasn't failed us, who's shown us time and time again that he's faithful, and who gives us everything that we need, what happens when we pour this out is he fills us up with his presence, and he strengthens our faith to continue with him. This is what happens. This is why we worship through song, through prayer, through coming to his word, through giving of our offering, giving of our money, giving of our lives, giving of our time, giving to him because he's worthy of it. And when we do that, we get full, strangely, and it's a constant cycle of more gratitude and more thankfulness and more overflow of what he's put inside of us and what he's called us to. Abraham understood this. Abraham understood the power of worship. And I don't want to miss the fact that Abraham was a pilgrim. He was a pilgrim far from home. He was a pilgrim far from his comforts. So it may be maybe there's a connection with the fact that he chose to immediately and often and all the time fill his house and his heart with the consciousness of the divine. Maybe there's a direct correlation. I'm saying maybe to be nice, I'm pretty Confident that there's a direct correlation with when we fill our hearts and our minds and our lives and our homes with the consciousness of the divine. We're acting more like pilgrims than settlers at home. It's a lot easier to be conscious of the world when you're at home, you're comfortable. When you're on a journey and you've crossed that big river, you've been through a battle, you're 75. And by the way, God's promising that you're going to be, that you're going to have uh, offspring and you're 75. <laughs> and your wife hadn't been able to have children and you're 75. But Abraham believed God. And so he was a pilgrim. He didn't settle for less. He didn't settle. I love that that word settle is almost negative if we really think about it, like settling, you know. But that's what we, when, we, when we settle in our home and we settle in our lifestyle and we settle in and we get real cozy right here. I'm guilty of it. Don't hear me yelling at you. We're not acting like pilgrims. What pilgrims act like is purposeful on a journey, maybe forsaking things that they want or desire in order to follow the call of God. And the way that they keep going is they fill their heart, they fill their life, they fill their house with worship, with the consciousness of the divine. They build an altar wherever they go and they say, God, you are worthy, you are faithful, you are able to do what you said you're going to do. I believe you. Abraham was a pilgrim. 
He pitched a tent, he built an altar, and he worshiped. Here's the challenge. I already said it, but I'm going to say it a different way just to emphasize, you know, how I do. Why shouldn't we build altars in our home? You know, if we really think about it, we do have altars in our home, but they're not to the right thing. We have places that we worship. We have places that we go to to worship. Most of the time we're worshiping other things. I was up late watching my Braves night in and night out on my phone because Kaylin don't want to watch it. And I'm watching on my phone. I'm nodding off, nodding off, nodding off. And if I'm not careful, I'm completely full of the fact that I adore the Braves. What is that? Not very pilgrim-like. I'm not saying we can't love the Braves. I went to the game. I love the Braves. I got the jersey. Dion's the best athlete in the history of Atlanta sports. That's a thing. I got it. I'm there. I'm a fan. But am I worshiping that? Have I built an altar for that? Is it in? Is it? What are we doing? What, what altars have we built in our home? Why can't we build altars in our home to worship the almighty God? Why should we not make ourselves joyful offerings, walking out the door saying, God, who are you going to put in my path today? Who are you going to put in my path today? Who needs a touch? Who needs some love? Who needs to know that you're the savior of the world and you've come and you've died for them? This is pilgrimage stuff different than settling this is also side note mm, this is how we fight temptation as well see how God does this this is, this is how he does this because the world the world cannot have a heart that's full of God there's no room there's no room in the heart that's full already of the one who occupies is sovereign over all. This is how we fight temptation. Temptation will cease to draw our heart out when our heart is full of the divine and his grace and his mercy and his love and his pursuit of his children. When we remind ourselves of this gospel and we fill ourselves up, we build an altar and we call upon the name of the Lord. There's no room for this temptation because we see how good he is and how worthless the rest is. So as we come to a close, I'm going to go back to verse 3 of Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to show you how this points to Jesus. Genesis chapter 12, 13. I will, God says to Abram, I will bless those who bless you and him who, who dishonors you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. There's a lot I can say about that, about how when we bless Abram, Abraham, and his offspring, we will be blessed. When we curse them, when we turn our back on Abraham and his offspring, we will be cursed. But I'm not interested in making this political tonight because the truth of the matter is I and every other Christian in this room am an offspring of Abraham. 
Look at the rest of it. Sorry, I got off on a tangent. And in you, he said, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can you imagine hearing that? Like, what? Why? How? How? Serpent. You know, no, that, that's not what was happening. But All of the earth? <laughs> like, you're not talking about this side of the Euphrates. You're talking about all the earth. Places I haven't even been. You're saying that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through me. How is that going to work out? What does that mean? No doubt, no doubt, hear it. No doubt, God is pointing to Jesus when he says this. God is pointing to the one who will be the descendant of Abraham. Jesus Christ the Son of God, born of a virgin, came through the line of Abraham. And everyone who trusts in Christ will become an heir of Abraham's promise. So this is how God did it. It's not just the people of Israel. It's not just the direct descendants by blood of Abraham. Because Jesus came from that line and his blood covers all who trust in him. So now we can have his blood running through our veins. And we've got the same bloodline and the same promise and the same inheritance as the people that were born of Abraham. So when he says all the families of the earth shall be blessed, he means Jesus is coming from your line and all that trust in him will be blessed and blessed eternally. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Those of faith. All those of faith are sons of Abraham. The all is implied. Verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that God would justify the Gentiles. That's the people that weren't Jews. Jews, Gentiles. Gentiles, we've gone over this in Ephesians, but it was a long time ago. Gentiles were out of luck because they weren't born of this lineage. It was bad news until Jesus, until Jesus made it possible for us to have faith in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Most of us are Gentiles, most likely. We're now heirs of this promise by faith, Galatians 3 tells us. And then verse 8 continues. For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Do you see that? Preach the gospel. This is the gospel, Paul writes in Galatians, that... In you, Abraham, all the nations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith, those who are of faith, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Look at Romans 4, 3 through 8. And we're getting real close to being done. And then I'm going to stop yelling and we're going to have a good time. Romans 4, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. For the one who works, it's his due. For the one who doesn't work but has faith and believes the promise, it's counted as righteousness. Just as David, look at this, just as David, verse 6, also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Worth, pinch, worth pitching a tent on the hill country away from the comforts of the city for a little while as a pilgrim. Worth building an altar and setting it up and calling on the name of the Lord who saves. But you can't earn this blessing. You can't earn this righteousness. You can't earn this inheritance. You can't earn it. That's what it just said. So we just read in Romans. You can't earn it. It comes by faith and grace alone in Christ alone. For it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not a result of works so that no one may boast can't earn it yourself. It's an act of trusting God and trusting the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and trusting that the resurrection of, of his body actually happened and he is alive forevermore and he's coming back again to bring us home. Faith in that truth is the only way. Those who have faith have the blessing. Those who have faith have the inheritance. Just as the faith of Abraham was counted as righteousness, so it is with us because of Jesus. So what is God calling you to do? Where is God calling you to go? Who is God calling you to serve? He leads his children. Sometimes it's hard to hear him. I want to challenge you today as I've been challenged. Maybe we can't hear him because we're not stepping. Maybe we can't hear him because we're not going when he already told us to go. Vance Havner, this is, this is the last thing I'll say, in, in his book, Consider Jesus, said, you have not really learned a commandment until you have obeyed it. The church suffers today from Christians who know more than they practice. So what will you do? What you do with where God is calling you to go or who God is calling you to serve or what God is calling you to do, what you do, your response to that call is not going to earn you salvation. It's your faith 
in the fact that God called you and his grace is enough and his love has come to purchase your redemption through Jesus Christ the Son, that faith is what accomplishes this work of salvation in your life. Faith in Christ alone. It's not the works that you do or produce. But make no mistake that he's called us to obedience in response to what he's done. God, I want to be a people that hears the voice of God and responds in obedience. Father God in heaven, we're here for you. We're here for you only. And we ask that you convict us where we need to be convicted. And we praise you that you have not condemned us when we deserved it, but you have supplied the bridge. You've supplied the way. And your blood is prepared to be applied for the forgiveness of sins. God, I pray tonight if there's anyone in this room that can hear these words, that can hear your scripture. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that's been convicted by your truth, that's never trusted in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, I pray tonight would be the night that they would not leave this place without coming and talking to me or anybody else about how to make it right, how to make that relationship with you right because I know, I believe, I trust that you're pursuing them just as you pursued me. God, make us a people, make us an obedient people. Make us pilgrims who need nothing more than your presence and who obey your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.